Ms. Rand, do you have any comment to make about the prophecy that was made in Atlas Shrug? Only that I'm sorry it's coming true so exactly. If Rand was here today, she would point to almost anything that's going on in government right now and say, I told you so. A devastated economy caused by government intervention, leading to more and more and more government intervention, which makes it worse and worse and worse. What if all the brilliant creative people, the brilliant engineers, the brilliant inventors decided to stop showing up for work? This is her magnum opus, right? This is everything. This is objectivism. This is her ideal man, finally realized in John Galt. She's got it all tied up, and she thinks this book is going to change the world. Because it is so radical, because it basically challenges 2,000 years of philosophy, that really can set some people off. Everybody practically came out against it. The left, the right, the middle, they were all against it. It was attacked in the most vicious terms everywhere, and nobody came forth. Nobody. I said, all due respect to you, Juan. John Gold says goodbye to America, 60 pages in your book. I will never give you script approval because I can't get the movie made. If I have to wait till you f***ing drop dead, I will have to do it the right way. Every time things got worse in Atlas Shrugged, they said, well, we need a new rule. We need a new directive. It's like reading the book. Did you know that 50,000 regulations were added during the Bush administration? The Bush administration. First, they tell us, you know, I'm in charge of the committee that is setting rules that could, um, you know, if you make bad rules, could destroy your industry. And then, you know, as they're walking out the door, they'd say, oh, by the way, how much money do you think you could raise for us? And that's the story of Atlas Shrug. What happens when the looting runs dry? I'm challenging the moral code of altruism, the precept that man's moral duty is to live for others, that man must sacrifice himself to others, which is the present-day morality. Is there anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible? Who still wonders if the dream of our founders is alive in our time. We still question the power of our democracy. Tonight is your answer. For 12 years, you have been asking, who is John Galt? This is John Galt speaking. I am the man who loves his life. I am the man who has deprived you of victims and thus has destroyed your world. And if you wish to know why you are perishing, you who dread knowledge, I am the man who will now tell you. You've heard it said that this is an age of moral crisis and that a man's sins are destroying the world. But your chief virtue has been sacrifice. And you've demanded more sacrifice at every disaster. You've sacrificed justice to mercy and happiness to duty. So why should you be afraid of the world around you? Your world is only the product of your sacrifices. And while you are dragging the men who made your happiness possible to your sacrificial altar, I beat you to it. I reached them first and told them about the game you were playing and where it would take them. I explained the consequences of your brother love morality, which had been too innocently generous to understand. You won't find them now when you need them more than ever. We are on strike against your creed of unearned rewards and unrewarded duties. If you want to know how I made them quit, I told them exactly what I'm telling you tonight. I taught them the morality of reason, that it is right to pursue one's own happiness as one's principal goal in life. I don't consider the pleasure of others my goal in life, nor do I consider my pleasure the goal of anyone else's life. 
I am a trader. I earn what I get in trade for what I produce. I ask for nothing more or nothing less than what I earn. That is justice. I don't force anyone to trade with me. I only trade for mutual benefit. Force is a great evil that has no place in a rational world. One may never force another human to act against his or her judgment. If you deny a man's right to reason, you must also deny your right to your own judgment. Yet you have allowed your world to be run by means of force, by men who claim that fear and joy are equal incentives, but that fear and force are more practical. And there's your brother love morality. Why is it more moral to serve others but not yourself? If enjoyment is a value, why is it moral when experienced by others but not by you? Why is it moral to produce something of value and keep it for yourself when it is moral for others who haven't earned to accept it? If it is virtuous to give, isn't it then selfish to take? Your acceptance of the code of selflessness has made you fear the man who has a dollar less than you because it makes you feel that that dollar is rightfully his. You hate the man with the dollar more than you because the dollar he's keeping is rightfully yours. Your code has made it impossible to know when to give and when to grab. You know that you can't give away everything and starve yourself. You forced yourselves to live in undeserved, irrational guilt. Is it even proper to help another man? No, if he demands it as his right or a duty that you owe him. Yes, if it is your own free choice based on your judgment of value of that person and his struggle. This country wasn't built by men who sought handouts. In its brilliant youth, this country showed the rest of the world what greatness was possible to a man and what happiness is possible on earth. Then it began apologizing for its greatness and began giving away its wealth, feeling guilty for having produced more than its neighbors. Twelve years ago, I saw what was wrong with the world and where the battle for life had to be fought. I saw that the enemy was an inverted morality and that my acceptance of that morality was its only power. I was the first of men who refused to give up the pursuit of his own happiness in order to serve others. To those of you who retain some remnant of dignity, and the will to live your lives for yourselves, you have the chance to make the same choice. Examine your values and understand that you must choose one side or the other. Any compromise between good and evil only hurts the good and helps the evil. If you've understood what I've said, stop supporting your destroyers. Don't accept their philosophy. Your destroyers hold you by the means of your endurance, your generosity, your innocence, and your love. Don't exhaust yourself to help build the kind of world that you see around you now. In the name of the best within you, don't sacrifice the world to those who will take away your happiness for it. The world will change when you are ready to pronounce this oath. I swear by my life and my love of it, that I will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask another man to live for the sake of mine. I'm William K. for ReTeaParty.com. Good day. If I wanted America to fail, to follow, not lead. To suffer, not prosper. To despair, not dream. I'd start with energy. I'd cut off America's supply of cheap, abundant energy. I couldn't take it by force. So I'd make Americans feel guilty about using the energy that heats their homes, fuels their cars, runs their businesses, and powers their economy. I make cheap energy expensive, so that expensive energy would seem cheap. I would empower unelected bureaucrats to all but outlaw America's most abundant sources of energy. After banning its use in America, I'd make it illegal for American companies to ship it overseas. If I wanted America to fail, 
I'd use their schools to teach one generation of Americans that their factories and their cars will cause a new ice age. And I'd muster a straight face so I could teach the next generation that they're causing global warming. When it's cold out, I call it climate change instead. I'd imply that America's cities and factories could run on wind power and wishes. I'd teach children how to ignore the hypocrisy of condemning logging, mining, and farming while having roofs over their heads, heat in their homes, and food on their tables. I would never teach children that the free market is the only force in human history to uplift the poor, establish the middle class, and create lasting prosperity. Instead, I demonize prosperity itself so that they will not miss what they will never have. If I wanted America to fail, I would create countless new regulations and seldom cancel old ones. They would be so complicated that only bureaucrats, lawyers, and lobbyists could understand them. That way, small businesses with big ideas wouldn't stand a chance. And I would never have to worry about another Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, or Steve Jobs. I would ridicule as flat earthers those who urge them to lower energy costs by increasing supply. And when the evangelists of common sense try to remind people about the laws of supply and demand, I'd enlist the sympathetic media to drown them out. If I wanted America to fail, I would empower unaccountable bureaucracy seated in a distant capital to bully Americans out of their dreams and their property rights. I'd send federal agents to raid guitar factories for using the wrong kind of wood. I'd force homeowners to tear down their own homes built on their own land. I'd make it almost impossible for farmers to farm, miners to mine, loggers to log, and builders to build. Because I don't believe in free markets, I'd invent false ones. I'd devise fictitious products like carbon credits and trade them in imaginary markets. I'd convince people that this would create jobs and be good for the economy. If I wanted America to fail, for every concern I'd invent a crisis, and for every crisis I'd invent a cause, like shutting down entire industries and killing tens of thousands of jobs in the name of saving spotted owls. And when everyone learned the stunning irony that the owls were victims of their larger cousins and not people, it would already be decades too late. If I wanted America to fail, I'd make it easier to stop commerce than to start it, easier to kill jobs than create them, more fashionable to invent success than to seek it. When industries seek to create jobs, I'd file lawsuits to stop them, and then I'd make taxpayers pay for my lawyers. If I wanted America to fail, I would transform the environmental agenda from a document of conservation to an economic suicide pact. I would concede entire industries to our economic rivals by imposing regulations that cost trillions. I would celebrate those who preach environmental austerity in public while indulging a lavish lifestyle in private. I convince Americans that Europe has it right and that America has it wrong. If I wanted America to fail, I would prey on the goodness and the decency of ordinary Americans. I would only need to convince that all of this is for the greater good. If I wanted America to fail, I, I suppose I wouldn't change a thing. Good evening, America. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date is May 7th, 2012. Washington, D.C., United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. Who is John Gold? What's Atlas Shrugged all about? If you want to understand better why so many states, from New York to Wisconsin to California, why they're teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. Consider this depressing statistic. Today in America, there are nearly twice as many people working for the government, 22.5 million, than in all of manufacturing, 11.5 million. There's an almost exact reversal of this situation in 1960 
where there were 15 million workers in manufacturing and 8.7 million collecting a paycheck from the government. And it gets worse. More Americans work for the government than work in construction. Farming, fishing, forestry, manufacturing, mining, and utilities combined. We've moved decisively from a nation of makers to a nation of takers. Nearly half of the $2.2 trillion cost of state and local governments is the $1 trillion a year tab for pay and benefits of state and local employees. No wonder so many folks want to go work for the government. Is it any wonder that so many states and cities cannot pay their bills? And our president supports bigger, more forceful, more intrusive government with each passing week of his administration. We have gone from a nation of makers to a nation of takers. It was only John Kennedy who said, ask not. Well, he'll tell you himself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. Could it be that President Kennedy was perhaps the last liberal president, the last Democrat president to speak in terms of God so rightfully, so righteously? That was John F. Kennedy's inaugural speech. Would we have such liberals today, America would not be in the shape it's in. Imagine being a – he almost sound, sounds like a conservative. John F. Kennedy would have been what Mitt Romney is right now. Now, every state in America today, except for Indiana and Wisconsin, have more government workers on the payroll than people manufacturing industrial goods. Consider California, which has the highest budget deficit in the history of the state. The now not-so-golden state now has an incredible 2.4 million government employees, twice as many as people at work in manufacturing. New Jersey has just under two and a half as many government employees as manufacturers 
Florida's ratio is more than three more than three to one. And so is New York's. And President Obama, our commander in chief, our dear leader, the Kenyan as he's called, fosters a government where Well, fosters a government where we we need to grow government bigger. Government needs to be the answer. After all, the president doesn't want us to go it alone. No. He doesn't. Americans shouldn't go it alone, do their own thing. No. Government. Government is the answer, according to Barack Hussein Obama. More government intervention, more regulations. Because, of course, Republicans don't want clean water, clean air. Only Barack Obama and the Democrats do. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. I remember America. Sure, you can still find it on a map, but nobody older than 20 thinks this is America. Even if coordinates are the same, we've lost our compass. You don't have a direction without reference, the true north. For America, it was liberty. When we lost the love of liberty, our understanding of liberty, it was just a matter of time before the rest of it was lost. Some think it started when the auto companies were nationalized or the police state to control the internet, or when certain companies couldn't fail because their relationship with politicians made them too big to fail, and the rest of us, without political influence, were too small to succeed. Sure, that all happened pretty quickly, over just a couple of years, but liberty had been gradually devolving for decades. Some of the more astute, like Ayn Rand, saw it about 50 years before others. She warned us, but people didn't believe it could happen here until it did. Laws had been used to loot productive individuals and businesses, but in the new millennium, under Bush, then Obama, graft, corruption, and crony capitalism were no longer hidden behind closed doors. The looters and their laws came out of hiding like rabid animals that were no longer afraid of humans. It was brought into the spotlight, and it was celebrated as enlightened economic policy. Ayn Rand asked the question and Atlas Shrugged that the rest of us were asking 60 years later, which failing financial institution will the administration pluck from the flames of crisis? And which will it let roast? Which market or investment technique will the regulators bless? And which, in a capricious change of rules, will it condemn or outlaw? As John Galt said in his radio address, You decided you had a right to your wages, but we had no right to our profits. You called it selfish and cruel that men should trade value for value. But you've now established an unselfish society where they trade extortion for extortion. People who had never produced or managed anything tried to manage every aspect of our lives, and they brought production to a standstill. And eventually, they decided to micromanage the food supply in the name of fairness and safety. And we all know what happened then. Fiction can be a powerful influence, for good or bad. It's too bad more people didn't read Atlas Shrugged. They might have realized where this was heading.
Join the hit squad of dynamic radio hosts on Internet Talk Radio. Starting at 8 p.m., listen to The Situation Report with Dr. C. Robert Jones of Gojo Media. Doc Jones is a retired Marine officer and holds a Ph.D. in history. Come check out his show weeknights from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. From there, stay on board with the 2020 Network, alternating between G-Ski Rocks and his show, Live and Direct, and David Graham of Stay Mad Radio, taking you to bedtime with wit and wisdom and class and clarity. Join this nightly tea party family and bring your friends Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. What to do, 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 do on Friday? Well, keep your internet radio routine with Tesla's great show, Socialism is Not an Option. The Roundtable Roundup Edition, where you can call in and vent your frustrations from the week. It's an open line discussion where other radio hosts and listeners call in and let us know what's on their mind every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Again, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. Adam Yuck, gone. Member, founder of the Beastie Boys. They started in 1979 as a band. And... Decided that uh, rap was the place to be. That was where things were going. So they decided they were going to become rappers. And so they did. And the rest is history. Almost 30 years. When Melly Mel. Grandmaster Flash. The Furious Five. Sugar Hill Gang. Curtis Blow, and even the venerable Run DMC all broke up, went their separate ways. The Beastie Boys continued on, hit after hit. Recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, only the third rap act to do so. The other two being Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and Run DMC. I have a political take. I have an ethnic take on why the Beastie Boys remained together and so successful years after bigger and better named rappers have fallen off. And here it is. They're Jewish. They're Jewish. Yeah, I know. I know. I, yeah, I, I'm going there. They're Jewish and Jews stick together. They don't have all the emotional weird baggage that black folks tend to have. The egos, the me first deal. For the most part, Jewish people work together. They look out for each other. They take care of their own. That's my theory on why the Beastie Boys managed to stay together and performing for 30 years. The same three guys. Not like, uh, say, a group like, now some of you might say, well, the group, uh, the Temptations have been performing for years. Longer. Earth, wind, and fire. They're examples of groups, the Isley Brothers. Not so. Earth, wind, and fire was gutted. There were originally nine members of that group, not counting all the band members. They're down to four guys now. And one of them is just a cousin of somebody. The Isley Brothers. Well, the Isley Brothers pretty much checked out one after the other. 
Then there was Isley, Jasper Isley. Now there's just one Isley left, Ronald. The Temptations? Wow. We don't even want to we don't even want to go there with those five, with those guys. No. Jewish people stick together. They work together. The egos aren't there. That's why. Right up until the death of Adam Yuck, that group has been so successful. A lesson to learn. George Lindsay, Lindsay, gone. Goober, checked out. I've said it, if I've said it once, i said it 43 times. You live long enough, and these things are going to happen. People are going to go, and you're going to wonder about your own mortality. Because people like me, I grew up with Lindsay Goober. He's gone. So many of the performers that I grew up watching on TV have long since departed. And it gives me pause to think about my own mortality. But now that we have gone ahead and said our piece about these folks, let's move on. It's certainly true that many states have not typically been home to traditional manufacturing operations. Iowa and Nebraska are farm states, for example. But in those states, there are at least five times more government workers than farmers. West Virginia is a mining capital, the mining capital of the world, yet it has at least Three more government workers than miners. New York is the financial capital of the world, at least for now. That sector employs roughly 670,000 New Yorkers. There's less than half, that's less than half the state's 1.48 million government employees. Now, don't expect a reversal of this trend anytime soon. Surveys of college graduates are finding that more and more of our top minds want to work for the government. Why? Because in recent years, only government agencies have been hiring. And because the offer of near-lifetime security is highly valued in these times of economic turbulence, when 23-year-olds aren't willing to take career risk, we have a real problem on our hands. Sadly, sadly enough, we could end up with a generation of Americans who want to work at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Yeah, you heard me right. The Department of Motor Vehicles. This is what we've come to in America. Everybody wants a handout. There are those who want, who, who their motto is, where's mine? What's in it for me? Where's mine? Take a listen to this clip from Fox News, and 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 you'll get a, you'll get a great picture of what exactly of exactly what I've been talking about. By the way, you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. You've mentioned it before that without citing these kids or these protesters. There is a built-in expectation that since, particularly last few years, the government has been doing more and offering more, people expect more, right? Absolutely. When you tell people over and over and over again they're entitled, they're entitled, and entitled because you want to get reelected, they're going to start believing you. That's why companies advertise. They, they, they say the same thing over and over again. You hear it long enough, you believe it. And these people are lazy, ignorant slackers that are more interested in destruction than construction. Uh, we don't need them. They're a waste of time. All right, but if they're a, a growing force, and that's how the, the mainstream media describes them, growing force, but I agree with you. This is a very distinct minority within a minority. And they're mad at the world. They're mad at the condition. They're mad at the high unemployment rate. They're mad at the quality of jobs available. They're mad that some on Wall Street have gotten very rich and they have not, and some have been rescued and they have not. But this, these, these rescues that really began in the financial industry with, with George Bush, 
it seemed to have spawned this great expectation nation, hasn't it? I don't believe that. I think uh, there's 80% of the people in the United States just want a fair shake to do what's right, go to work, earn a living, buy a house, get health care. They just want good, fair, equal access. These but, people want it for free. I, I hear you, buddy, but what happens then when you see that your neighbor is having his mortgage reworked because he's missed six payments in a row? You've been dutifully trying to make your payments, and you get squat. And you look around you and say, hey, I, I, it's human nature to want in on that game, right? Absolutely. You know, why work when the least of you doesn't work and gets the same reward you should be getting when you're busting your butt? It's stupid. And it, we've created a whole society of people that say, I'm sick and tired of paying for everybody else. I want mine. But we have now half of all Americans not paying any income taxes at all. Now, every time I raise this, they say, well, they're playing Social Security. If I, could, I don't dismiss that. The fact of the matter is the tax code, what it is, the structuring of write-offs, what they are, that's what... The reality is. But that doesn't get mentioned in the fairness argument. Um, so it seems like everything is twisted. You know, I had an opportunity to sit with the old head of the HEW, and he said the real people on welfare in this country are the people handing out the checks, not the ones getting the checks. Uh, the government is the biggest cesspool of non-productivity in the world. And it, it just it's insane that we keep operating the way we operate, thinking something's going to be different. The state of Illinois is bankrupt, and we keep raising taxes on people that can't afford to pay, pay for their houses. It's just idiotic. Something's got to be done. The government has got to change their style, their method, their, 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 their direction. I can't believe they're that stupid. But, you know, Ed, I really think it all started with you, come to think of it. In your great days of driving McDonald's floor, you started making us fat. And it wasn't me ordering those six-quarter pounders. It was you putting a gun to my back, making me order the six quarter pounders. So in a real sense, you are to blame for this anarchy we've got today. Do you feel guilty? No, man. I started working when I was 11 years old. I started McDonald's making 85 cents an hour working man. on the grill. And I busted my butt, had a great career with a great and fabulous company. Now I've got my own restaurants. I'll tell you, you get up off your butt in this country, go to work and get a fair chance from government to do what's right, and you're going to be okay. You know, just give you one illustration. In the city of Chicago, you've got to have 161 different licenses to open up a business. If you're in the dog grooming business, you have to have a license to sell a collar, collar give the dog a bath, and cut his toenails. It's crazy. Um, we're speaking of fast food and all. I was talking not too long ago about signs and jobs that go begging in some towns where, you know, restaurants like Wendy's and Burger King and others are are offering um, jobs for upwards of $10 an hour more in some cases just to get people in, and they can't fill them. The people, kids are, I, are dismissing that. What do you make of that? I, I've, got a, I've got a restaurant, Tom and Eddie's, in uh, a northern suburb of Chicago. We need people desperately in that place. We're starting at 9.50 an hour for kids that are in school, for crying Whoa. out loud. They don't ha We're going to teach them everything they need to know. We can't get anybody to walk in the door to take a job. It's nuts. Amazing. Do you give them free food? Uh, that might cinch the deal. Only, only for lunch. Only for lunch. Um, Ed, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks for speaking your mind. Hey, I always do. Uh, let's, let's pray our country gets its stuff together and our politicians wise up because we're on a very slippery slope. I, I hear you. Ed Ramsey, thank you. All right, that was Ed Ramsey. He worked uh, with McDonald's, and he was the corporate CEO for a very long time. You were back. Welcome back to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Now, a lot of folks will say, hey, Dr. Jones, you were with the military. You served in the military. You received a lot of benefits. You worked for the government. Well, that's exactly right. I did work for the government. And I enjoyed every single minute of it. That's the truth. However... I was shot three times, not nine times like a famous rapper. I was shot three times, stabbed twice, literally blown up once. I was in harm's way of that 30 years I spent as a United States Marine. I was in harm's way no fewer 
than 15 of those 30 years. Now, of course, it was my choice to pursue that career. And I did so. And I did it well. But for everything that the government gave me, I gave back a hundredfold. Marriage, children, everything. It was my choice. No doubt. But for what the government gave me, I gave back twice. Three, four, five times. What we have here, people, is a government run by a socialist, communist, Marxist, whatever you want to call this clown. He's running this country into the ground. We are known by the company we keep. That's the truth. Barack Obama as much as said so. Now, the folks who Barack Obama spent his time with, Marxists, socialists, communists, all three, sometimes all three rolled into one. He was raised in a communist household. His father was a socialist. His mother was a communist. Does anybody think for one minute that Barack Obama is not a socialist, that he does not have Marxist views, that his policies are not Marxist? Does anybody believe that? I hung around Marines for 30 years. I'm a Marine. I believe in the Marine Corps philosophy. Hell, with me, the Marine Corps borders on religion. I was told in boot camp the first week by a drill instructor that as a course of being a Marine, I will never, ever like having long hair again. I will never be the same person that I am now as a result of my tenure in the Marine Corps. And he was right. 35 years later, he was right. Who can tell me that they are not a product of the company they keep. How many times has your mom and dad said to you, you are a product of the company you keep? Don't hang around that skank. You'll be viewed as a skank, and you may very well become one. Don't hang around that criminal, that pot-smoking dude you keep bringing to the house and smoking pot in my basement. He's going to get you into trouble. We've all heard it, haven't we? Barack Obama continues to associate himself with Marxist and socialist and communist and all kinds of weirdos. He's even employing them in his cabinet and as a, var- a variety of, of, of czars. So here's the question some folks ask. Well, what's the big deal? You know, what's, so what's so bad about being a socialist? What's so, what, what's, what's, uh, I mean, so what? So what if the, gov- the country goes socialist? What's the big deal? A chatter in the chat room says, I can't call Obama a commie. And they're absolutely right, I cannot. I can say that he's a socialist. I can say with a great amount of certainty as I have ten fingers or four fingers and two thumbs and ten toes that Obama is a socialist. Everything he says and does speaks to that. It's not just my opinion. I've heard a lot of people say to me, hey, Dr. Jones, that's your opinion. And that's a bunch of crap. It's not just my opinion. It's what the man says. It what It's what he does. His Osawatomi, Kansas speech spoke directly to his true views. We saw a window into the man's socialist soul. All of this, pay your fair share. Millionaires and billionaires, class warfare, pitting one socioeconomic group of people against another. The President of the United States, is this his job? 
Has it come to this where the president of the United States of America pits American American against America? American? He is directly responsible, and this is my opinion, for the Occupy Wall Street fiasco. Now, that's my opinion, and I believe it. The guy is a socialist, and he is destroying this great nation, not just the infrastructure, not just the free market system, but internally. What was so great about Ronald Reagan? What was so great about him? He was just an actor. He was a governor. You know, he really didn't have any special, you know, skills in terms of uh, governing and uh, a scholastic background. He certainly didn't have the uh, academic background of some of our more recent presidents. No, what was great about President Obama was that he instilled in Americans a great sense of pride in America. We were proud to be American. We wanted to do whatever we could to help to make America great. To bring America out of lethargy after the disastrous four years of Jimmy Carter. President Reagan talked about the shining city on a hill. He talked about the greatness of America, the greatness of Americans. He didn't go around from nation to nation bowing and scraping. What kind of man – well, let me ask this question one more time. What kind of grown-ass man bows down to another man? How do you do that unless you've got a gun to your head and maybe not even then? How does the president of the United States, the most powerful country on this planet still, at least for now, go to another head of state such as the Chinese prime premier and bow? What a candy ass. How do you do that? How do you bow to another man and maintain your self-respect? How does that happen? I don't even think Jimmy Carter ever bowed down to another head of state. And this is what I'm talking about. We have an entitlement nation, and then we have a president of the United States who's a pussy. Let's just call him what he is. He's a punk. He probably had his lunch money taken many times. Bowing and scraping to potentates and dictators all across the globe and using our tax dollars to fly and do so. What a candy ass. Oh, yeah. Imagine your father, my father, bowing deeply such that your forehead touches the other guy's balls. You're bowing so deep. Imagine our dads doing that. It's, Im it's unimaginable, isn't it? Imagine John Wayne bowing down to any man. Well, imagine, imagine Vladimir Putin heading off, jetting off to China, meeting with the Chinese dignitaries and bowing. Imagine it. You can't imagine it, right? It's not going to happen. It will never happen. It's outrageous. Cougars in the house. Cool Mike. Glad you're here. It would never happen. But the President of the United States thinks that America, Americans should show humility. Because in his words, we've been... America has been dismissive and derisive and arrogant and all kinds of other bad things. And now we've ushered in a new America, a new dawn, a fundamentally transformed country where the, the president of the most powerful country on the planet, the most influential country on earth for the last 200 years, 
at least. Well, we're going to show humility. We're going to show that we're not so bad. Forgive us. Forgive America all its sins. Because now the Messiah, Barack Hussein Obama, has come to bring America from the darkness into the light. The light of humility and sacrifice. Shared sacrifice, not shared prosperity. Oh no! We all need to sacrifice something. Give. While the President of the United States goes off on vacation every two weeks, golfing like there is no tomorrow, his wife jet sets across the globe at our expense, those of us who pay taxes, that is, lavish vacations. And who? Most Americans can't afford to go on vacation at this time. They are having what's called staycations. And instead of taking those vacation days, they're trading them in so you can get a little extra money. But the President of the United States shows humility and due deference to world leaders across the globe. Ass-kissing, bowing, scraping, like the punk that he is. Comes back to America, tells black folks to stop your whining, stop your complaining, get off your couch, put your shoes on, go out and get into somebody's face. Oh, and by the way, I'm going on vacation to Martha's Vineyard. And I'm going to have a damn good time. I'm going to have lobster thermidor. You'll see me eating a nice, fresh, frosty treat, walking along the beach, riding a geeked-up bicycle built for two with Michelle, wearing a geeky helmet, and looking like the punk and the sissy that I am. But I'm going to be having a good time while most of you Americans out there are suffering and unemployed. I'm going to have a damn good time because I'm the president. I won. It is time for this guy to go home. It's time for him to show – it's time for us to show Obama the true meaning of humility. Humiliate his ass in November and send him packing. The guy hasn't done anything right. Nothing. He has passed this monstrosity, rat maze from hell, health care law. Uh, Gays can now serve openly in the military. And uh, uh, I guess that's it. That's it. The CBO has projected that Obama's claim that health care costs are going to go down false, that it's not going to cost as much as anyone, those, those, those damn Republicans think, false, it's going to cost almost twice as much as what the Democrats told us it would. Are there enough doctors to service those extra 30 million people? Nope. We're headed for a cliff. Both financially, social, socially, the country. This clown said, you know, and, and who would believe anything that that moron said? Seriously. But you liberals, you liberals said that this guy was going to fundamentally transform America. There wouldn't be any red states or blue states. That would be the United States of America. He was supposed to unite folks. You liberals call this guy the Messiah. You likened him to Abraham Lincoln and Jesus Christ himself. 
And what has he done? He has only served to turn this country into the laughingstock across the globe. And he's ruining the country. He's pitting you against me. If I have more than R-O-S-P, if I have more than American citizen, then that means that I should be vilified because I've got more than you. And you should have at least as much as I have. Oh, yeah, folks. His time has come. Let's send a message to this fool sometime in November. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. I want to thank everybody for listening tonight, everybody who's come into the room. Thank you guys a whole lot. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. By the way, you have put me over the 100,000 listen mark, and thank you so much for that. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We're out. Oh, yeah. Try not to get worried. Try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's alright? Yes, everything's fine. And we want you to sleep well tonight. Let the world turn without you tonight. If we try, we'll get by, so forget all about us tonight. Everything's alright, yes, everything's alright, yes. Sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you, and anoint your hot forehead Then you feel everything's alright Yes, everything's fine And it's cool and the ointment sweet For the fire in your head and feet Close your eyes, close your eyes And relax, think of nothing tonight Hey, woman, you fine Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. People who are hungry, people who are starving, they matter more than your feet and hands. To get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's alright? Yes, everything's alright, yes. Surely you're not saying we have the resources to save the poor from their lot. There will be poor always, pathetically struggling. Look at the good things you've got. Think while you still have me move, while you'll see me. You feel Close your eyes.